Our first scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. Listen now for the word of God. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second scripture reading is a continuation of chapter 8 in the Gospel of Mark. I'll be picking up at verse 31. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray once again. Eternal God, we pray that you give us the spirit of discernment as we have heard the word proclaimed, and also the ability to respond as your people doing your ministry, we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed what it's like when you see a thunderstorm taking shape. You you can be in your backyard, maybe at your barbecue grill, and the sun is out, and in the distance you see those gray clouds starting to close in. And Eventually, as they get closer, the sun, which was beaming brightly a moment ago, gets blocked out, and the wind kicks up, and the trees begin to bend and you hear that swishing sound, lots of signs that a storm is coming. I've noticed that uh, sometimes dogs start barking um, because they know when a storm is coming oftentimes before we do because of their sensitive hearing. 
These are the signs of a storm coming. I mention this because Jesus had approached a time in his ministry when the storm clouds were forming for him. He was now clearly seeing what lay ahead for him as he set his eyes on Jerusalem. And he began to speak explicitly about it. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. Now, this is the first time that Jesus spoke in such a way in the presence of his disciples or anyone else. The Son of Man must suffer and be killed, and it would happen in Jerusalem, the holy city of the people of Israel. Jerusalem. Here, Jesus would face the storm of treachery. The religious leaders with whom Jesus was so often in conflict would bring to bear with the full force of hostility upon him to destroy him. The Pharisees were the most religious people of the land and respected because of their absolute devotion to what was pure and what was defined in the law of Moses. They were defenders of the faith and in the face of so many other influences that were there, which often blurred their faith. And if you think about it, Jesus and the Pharisees should have gotten along. You know, they should have been a unified front. But instead, in their minds, Jesus, he was a heretic because he challenged the people to rethink who God was. Jesus was an imposter who claimed to be the son of God. He taught that the kingdom of God was being ushered in by him. Old was past and the new had come. And so when Jesus set his sights on Jerusalem, he was walking right into the clutches of those who wanted to kill him. At Jerusalem, he would face the storm of injustice. You know, by the letter of the law, Jesus had done no wrong to merit the flight of the cross. The cross was a punishment for insurrectionists, rebels bent on overthrowing the Roman government. That was not Jesus. Pontius Pilate, the Roman official who had the, made the legal decision to have Jesus crucified, said explicitly, I see no legitimate case against this man. And so at the cross, what we see is Jesus having solidarity with all those who suffered injustice because Christ's death on the cross was a grave injustice. At Jerusalem, he would face the storm of scorn. The people who wanted to claim Jesus as their king turned on him when he didn't meet the expectations they were looking for. The enormous popularity of Jesus in his earlier ministry began to wane and the ranks of his admirers were thinning out. Jesus, we had so many hopes for you and you have been such a disappointment. You see, up to this point, Jesus was popular. Jesus could hardly travel openly in the towns and in the villages because of the overwhelming tides of people who engulfed him. That's how popular he was. And when Jesus gathered his disciples at this place called Caesarea Philippi and asked them, who do people say that I am? Some say, Jesus, you're John the Baptist, come back to life, a prophet, 
a teacher. What do you call me, is the question that Jesus asked. And Peter, the disciple, said, you are the Messiah, God's anointed, the Son of the living God. And yet, even as this affirmation is made, Jesus sees the storm clouds coming, even as his disciples did not. Did not. And kind of like the, how the dog's ears flutter when he hears the thunder before others do, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Now, Jesus knew for some time that this would be his destiny. Now he was revealing it to his followers. Now, I think we can understand why you know, Peter, the one who made this great affirmation about Jesus, resists these words. That's not the kind of talk you want to hear from the Son of the living God. For him, the sun was shining. No reason to think of anything foreboding should come to Jesus. Yet Jesus knows the cross is his destiny. This is the road that he must walk. You know, there's a portrait of Jesus as a young man when he was working in his father's carpenter shop. It's painted by the artist Holman Hunt. And it shows Jesus, as you can see in that uh, depiction there. It's at the end of the day's work, and a late afternoon sun is beaming through an open window. Jesus is stretching out his arms to shake out the fatigue of his work. And the sun beaming through that window casts a shadow on the wall. And that's in the form of a cross. This was the artist's way of conveying that Christ's destiny for the cross was established right from the very beginning. This was the purpose for which God had appointed Jesus to reconcile the world through the cross. From the very beginning, his destiny was certain. And so, this shadow of the cross hung over the life of Jesus. From the manger, through his boyhood, his, to his baptism, through the calling of his disciples, the teachings and the healings, always there was the cross in the distance. That foreboding mission, which was eventually to be brought to completion. And from, you know, the, the creation of the first nebula, God saw the cross as the ultimate solution to a creation gone bad. And I'm thinking it probably took a while for Jesus to discern this calling throughout his life. But once he knew, he pressed forward. And that's why he rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And this is also to say that the cross is something that Jesus chose. You know, he was not a, 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 a victim of circumstances. It wasn't as though Jesus was swept up by some power beyond his control, which carried him to a cross. It was his decision, and he owned it. You know, when you trace those footsteps of Jesus to Jerusalem, you can see there are several crossroads that Jesus comes to, and he could have avoided the cross. He could have avoided going to Jerusalem. He could have made friends with those religious leaders who wanted to harm him. He could have made a case for himself to be the, uh, the, the kind of king and messiah that people were wanting him to be. 
Jesus chose not to. So when the storm clouds were forming, Jesus leaned into them rather than away from them. Then Jesus takes it to the next level. We are told Jesus called the crowds and his disciples and said this, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who wish to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. And so now with this saying, it's no longer just about Jesus, but about those who wish to follow him. If I must carry a cross, says Jesus, then those who wish to follow me must carry theirs as well. And just as Jesus chose his cross, the cross is something that we must choose to do as well. Cross-bearing in the Christian life is something we choose for the sake of the gospel. It's a consequence of following Jesus. You know, there are times when we are struggling with various aspects of life that the meaning of the cross and carrying the cross gets blurred. We hear a phrase like, this is my cross to bear in the face of trouble when it comes upon us, when an illness strikes and we are incapacitated as a result of it and we spend, spend months of recovering from it. This is my cross to bear, but not really in the biblical sense, however admirable that struggle may be. In the New Testament, the idea of cross-bearing is something that you choose. When Jesus calls for self-denial and cross-bearing, it is a direct consequence of discipleship, suffering as a result of following Jesus. Choosing the way of Jesus, even as it evokes a backlash because of it. You know, and I think of Martin Luther, that great reformer, when he nailed his 95 theses on the uh, Wittenberg church door, condemning all of the corruption and the practices and abuses that were taking place in the church at this time. He did this knowing that he was going to be persecuted for it. Or I think of an incident that took place in the 60s when black students from Tougaloo College in Jackson, Mississippi, staged a sit-in in an all-white drugstore in May of 1963. This was a cross because of the backlash that they had to endure. They were beaten with fists and brass knuckles. They were burnt with cigarettes and cut with shards of glass, all as a consequence of their actions. You know, and, and like Peter, we're prone to push back. And one of the reasons I'm sympathetic to Peter's resistance when he rebukes Jesus is because I'm a cross-resistant person. I, all of us, push back on sacrifice. Now, several years ago, there was a church that used a large billboard uh, not far off the road, and it would advertise its worship services. And on the billboard was a picture of an extremely good-looking preacher who had a big smile and was clutching his Bible. And beneath the preacher, every week, there was some kind of malady or struggle that was listed there. <clears throat> One week, it would have the word confused, question mark, and people were urged to call the church phone number listed beneath. And another week, the word would be depressed, call this number at the bottom of that billboard. Another week, lonely, call this number. 
Now, people who drove by that billboard were meant to see that the church was there to take care of their needs, to take away their struggles. But I wouldn't call this, you know, false advertising as much as I would call it incomplete advertising. The community of faith should be a place of healing, a place of hope and joy and peace. But that's only part of the story. The suffering Savior beckons us to walk a road of sacrifice as well. And to have a willingness to reach out and take the cross. So I was just wondering, you know, what, what kind of billboard could we create, you know, for our church? I was thinking, thinking maybe one that would read like this. If you think you have problems now, wait till you come to Rocky River Presbyterian Church. Would, would that get people off the bus, do you think? Uh, probably wouldn't work <laughs> to our advantage. We push back on sacrifice when it comes to the people we care about also, not just ourselves. You know, notice that Peter is trying to protect Jesus so that he doesn't have to go through what Jesus is saying is inevitable for him to go through. Jesus, I have just called you the Christ, the Son of the living God. I cannot allow you to do this. These were genuine words of love that he was expressing to his Lord. He wanted to protect Jesus. And Jesus had to say, stand back. Because for Jesus, the shadows were deepening, and the storm was gathering, and the hour for which God had appointed him was drawing closer. Jesus steadfastly turned his face to Jerusalem. Amen and amen.